Matthew chapter 6. This morning we are looking at verses 25 through 34. And if you want to follow along in the blue ESV Bible, you can find that beginning on page 811. Page 811. The title of our sermon this morning is, What About Tomorrow? The key words for our worshipers in training are worry, anxious, and anything. Well, some of you are just coming to realize that I've actually been on sabbatical for the last four months, and now I'm back. And apparently, while I've been not preaching, something happened, and daily life around us has shifted a little bit because of this global pandemic. And it seems like a very long time ago, doesn't it? It seems like years ago that we were coming into 2020, and I don't know about you, but for me it was with a tremendous amount of optimism because 2019 closed out to be a very good year. For most Americans and even for many countries around the world, 2019 was a great year and things were continuing to get better. And then the brakes were pressed all the way to the floor and many of our lives have been changed dramatically. Some, not as much as others, but for all of us, there have been significant changes. And at this point, I think all of us are getting a little fancy. We're ready for things to go back to normal, but at the same time, we're not really sure what normal means anymore. Well, 102 years ago, there was another global pandemic. That was the year of the Spanish flu in 1918. Worldwide, the Spanish flu was responsible for more than 50 million lives uh, being ended, according to an estimate gathered by data over the years from the CDC. Now, if you know your history, you know that 1918 was also the year when World War I was coming to an end. So, in 1918, the front pages of newspapers were flooded with all of the news about the war, but also at the same time, this pandemic of this flu sweeping across the world, taking the lives of many people, and now entering into America, and this was taking all kinds of people, regardless of their, of their age and their health prior to getting the flu. And so at first, the states closed the saloons and other gathering places, but they left the question up to churches as to whether or not they would continue to gather. Now, in most places, there were notices in front of churches that said if you had, uh, you had a flu-like uh, symptom, then you needed to uh, stay out. However, by October of 1918, the flu was raging through the city, and so mayors everywhere were encouraging churches to stop meeting together for a time, and all the local churches communicated with one another and determined that that was the best course of action. So churches were closed. Some of them in the United States, especially up and down the East Coast, were acting as temporary hospitals to serve their communities for patients who had gotten over the worst of the flu but still needed a place to go and recover. And of course, in 1918, there was no live streaming of services on Facebook, and so 
churches where pastors were mailing out sermons, church Bible readings, and prayer materials. In Pittsburgh, the pastors of the city all asked the families and the congregations to use the hours between 11 and 12 o'clock on Sunday morning to gather in their homes for devotions and Bible reading and prayer times. And by November, people were getting antsy and ready for the city to reopen. They wanted things to get back to normal, but at the same time, there was a lot of hesitation. What could we expect And for those who made it through without catching the flu, what assurances did they have that if they stepped outside their front door, that they wouldn't get the flu? Were they moving too quickly? Were they being too hasty? Were they being impatient? Now, all of this sounds quite familiar now, doesn't it? All around the world, people are asking questions that are the very same as we weigh the difficult challenges that come with dealing with COVID-19. We couldn't have known it was coming, and when it came, we were probably all a bit surprised by the eventual response, and now we're living through that response with a mixture of truth and falsehood, with an onslaught of opinions from experts and non experts and medical professionals and economists and political scientists and biologists and on and on and on. And the real question in the midst of all of it is, what about tomorrow? At some point, all of this will seemingly come to an end, even though it doesn't really seem like it all that much, does it? And in many ways, I'm sure in 1918, the church was having the same discussion. What is next? What about tomorrow? How do we go forward? And you hear it a lot today, a lot of people talk about the quote-unquote new normal and what that will be, or if there should be talk of a new normal, or whether or not we just go back to the way things were four months ago. Now, if we are all honest, I'm sure we can admit that the whole thing has caused varying degrees of anxiety in our lives for all kinds of different reasons. This has been a difficult time for all of us. It has for my family and me, and I've heard of several of you and know what's going on in your homes, and I know it has been a difficult time. I also know that we all have different opinions about how, how all of this happened and how we should respond to it, how we, how we think we should have responded to it, how we hope it will be responded to in the future. And the bottom line is there are no easy answers. However, we cannot run away from the question. We have to be able to grapple with this. What about tomorrow? None of us have the power to make big, sweeping global changes in the world's response to the coronavirus. We don't have the power to do that in our country or in our state or even most of us right here in our very own community. Some of us have big decisions to make in our businesses, and we all have to decide how things are going to go forward in our own homes. But as God's people, with God's Word, it's vitally important for all of us that we make every attempt at asking any question that we have with the wisdom that God has given us in His Word. 
How do we proceed? What about tomorrow? What does God's Word tell us about tomorrow? Well, let's look at our text. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, there are several implications for us in our text this morning, so we're going to consider at least four of them, and I want you to have this question in your mind with uncertainty looming, with no assurances that things are going to be anything like they were prior to all of this happening, without any real way of knowing what day-to-day life is going to be like, what about tomorrow? When tomorrow comes, what shall we say? How should we think? What shall we believe? Four things. First, No matter what tomorrow brings, we must remember that God provides for all of the needs of His children. I really love what Jesus says here. I think about this a lot, where He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I'm, I'm reminded of one of the great blessings of, of being a child. Most children, and I, I know there are exceptions, but I was one of these children, and I think it's the case for most of us as we were children, and it certainly is for our children. Most children go through life day to day, not really thinking about all of the big questions of life and making sure all the little things of daily life are taken care of. Was the electricity bill paid? Was the water bill paid? Do we have enough money in the bank to cover the mortgage this month? Is there gas in the car? Did we order a gift for that birthday party next Saturday? Will our insurance cover our prescriptions? Do we need to find something else? What are we making for dinner? Do we have the ingredients? Where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go to eat? 
right? Our, our children don't have to think about these things. It's one of the blessings of being a child that there's this moment in life where, where there really is very little to have to think about and to keep in balance and work through, and that is a good thing. You wake up, clean your room, do your chores, do your schoolwork, read books, go outside, watch TV, play, play, play to your heart's content. Wake up tomorrow, do it all over again. What a life! It's why it may be particularly grating when you have a difficult day working through all of these things, and then you're home and you're in the middle of preparing dinner, and then someone tugs on your leg and says, when will dinner be ready? I'm starving. What are you making? I don't like that. Well, good, that's the plan, to make you starve, and when I do feed you, to give you something you hate. Mission complete. (laughs) But that's sort of what the Lord has in mind here for us. Jesus is taking us by the hand, He's walking us outside, and He's saying, look at all the birds. You see them, they're just sitting there. They're not very smart. They don't do much. They're dirty. They have pretty mundane lives for the most part. But you know what? Your heavenly Father makes sure they have food. He provides for them. He gives them what they need to survive tomorrow. And they're going to be doing the same exact thing that they're doing today because of it. He gives them the seeds from the plants and the worms and the bugs that they need to survive. So don't worry, dear child of God. What do you have to worry about? The Lord cares so much more for you. We're like the child when we worry, when we're anxious, when we're so concerned about tomorrow, we're like the child pulling on the pant leg saying, I'm starving. We are so focused on here and now and our own circumstances in this moment that we don't realize that there are big, huge, eternal things going on around us every single day that God is doing, but I cannot see it. I may never know about it, but it is still tremendously important. So like a child who does not put together all of the pieces of what we're doing day by day in all of the details of adult life and how it all fits together, we really have no sense to stop and think that the Lord is doing far more than we could ever think or imagine. And instead of complaining in that moment that we're starving, we should instead stop and think, You know what? The Lord has always given me exactly what I need. He keeps the grass growing. He keeps the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky. He's giving me breath in my lungs, clothes on my back, a roof over my head. He will give me what I need because He always has. Brothers and sisters, our God is so completely in control of the natural universe that He provides the berries that are eaten, the insects that are in the air and on the ground, or the worm that is pulled from the dirt by a bird. And what we see when we look at the birds is a creature who is not acting as though God is only a merciful provider for today, but won't be for tomorrow. Birds don't anxiously hoard up their food. They go about their work as though the sun will rise tomorrow and God will still be God. 
And, and so Jesus reasons how much more should we as God's children created in his image be content in God's mercy as the great provider of all things. We have the ability to honor God by faith, and God values that faith more than he values those birds. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be fearful when we think about tomorrow because God can be counted on to work for us tomorrow just as much as he can be counted on today. Do you remember when the Israelites were in the wilderness? When God was providing for them, literally sending manna from heaven for them to eat day by day. Remember, He gave them a provision. Collect exactly and only what you need for this day. But what happened? Well, the Israelites could have easily just as been members of Redeemer Baptist Church and gotten worried about tomorrow. They were worried. What if, we, what if we don't collect more than we need today? We won't have what we need tomorrow if it doesn't come. They weren't confident. They weren't trusting that God would provide, and so they hoarded up manna. And then what happened? The next day, it was all spoiled. It was rotten. Now, it's not as though the manna had a short shelf life, because on the day before the Sabbath, they were allowed to gather enough for two days, and it lasted. So God wasn't teaching them that when you get manna, it spoils quickly. He was, he was pushing them to trust Him, to be more faithful, to trust that when God says He will provide, He will provide. When God says He will never leave us or forsake us, that we can trust that He will never leave us or forsake us. That when God is going to give us what we need, He often gives it to us just when we need it in the amount that we need. Brothers and sisters, we are not birds in the sky. We are the children of God. Do you trust Him like this? We need to grow up in the faith from being like children and stand tall as those who are mature in the faith, who can look to God and trust that He will ensure that we always have exactly what we need. Secondly, no matter what tomorrow brings, we must remember that we are important to God. This is very much related to our first implication. Again, verses 28 through 32, "'Consider the lilies of the field.'" How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus continues to, to point out the things outside as he, as he continues to walk with us through His creation. And now, He moves from the birds and He points to the lilies and He says, notice, they don't have their own will. They cannot do whatever they want. They cannot make themselves look a certain way. But what does God do? He adorns them with beauty. He makes them to look as beautiful as they are. And think of the grass, 
Right now, all around us, the grass is, is back to green and it looks beautiful. The golf courses are gorgeous. It's all so nice and fresh and it, and it smells good and it looks beautiful. God has done this. It's God's handiwork to make it all look the way that it does. And he finds delight in that even though it's going to spring up and die off and it's going to be alive today and thrown into the oven tomorrow. But listen, Jesus' argument is that the Lord finds delight in making the grass beautiful. And it's here today and gone tomorrow. So surely, dear Christian, he delights, he delights in you. You're important to him. I just got a text from one of you this week. I'm not going to mention who. And it said this. It said, I need some restaurant recommendations. Where should I take my spouse to go eat in Savannah? And when I'm asked that question, I usually ask first, how much do you want to spend? And I love the reply I got. It said, no limit. The best of the best. I will break the bank this time. Now, first of all, that is my kind of eating out. I love an amazing feast. I love wonderful food and drink and company and spending more than seems reasonable on my meal because it's not just about the meal, is it? Think about that response. Think about that attitude. I want to show this person, in the midst of all of this, I want to show them that I love them, that I care about them, that they mean so much to me. So we're going to put on nice clothes. We're going to get a babysitter. We're going to go spend time, just us, and laugh and eat and drink and talk and walk and enjoy ourselves and delight in one another and make memories together because God has designed us to delight in His good gifts because he delights in these very things, and He loves providing them to us. Now, of course, times right now are tough, and some people are struggling, and I don't want to downplay that and suggest that, that we know that God loves us and cares for us only when we have enough money to go spend it on an expensive meal or something like that. That's not my point. Very few of us are dressed like Solomon, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't care for us in just the same way when our, our blessings are or are not seemingly abounding all around us. But let me, let me ask you this. Where have you ever seen a disciple of Jesus Christ who did not have the adornment that they needed to do what God had called them to do? Be careful. Don't, don't measure the perfection of God's provisions by some standard of your own making. And don't forget that, that most of what you have, most of what I have, it's not what we need, but what we've been graciously given to enjoy and delight in because God loves pouring His loving kindness out on us because He cares about each and every one of us. Have you ever thought about that? Man, when things like a, a global pandemic happen and you have to start pulling back, maybe pinching pennies a little bit, you quickly realize how much God has given us that is well beyond what we need. We are absolutely spoiled by the Lord. Our lives are like Christmas morning every single day and we wake up and there's just gifts upon gifts upon gifts from the Lord because He delights in us and He wants to adorn us. 
So Jesus tells us, don't have little faith when tomorrow comes. Have big faith, knowing that we we don't need to be anxious. Listen, even when things seem helpless and desperate, we do not need to be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It is for those who do not know Christ and do not trust in a great, gracious, loving, holy, and merciful Father to worry about such things, not the children of God. Now, maybe you don't feel important to God in the midst of all of this. Maybe you're down and depressed and stressed, and all of this has just been so difficult, and you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning. You're struggling to stay focused and to to do your work and to keep your mind actively engaged in what needs to be done every day. And listen, I'm with you. I understand that. I've had bad days over the last couple of months, This isn't easy. I think for many people, it may even get a little bit worse. Sadly, just yesterday, there was a suicide in our own community. Stories of suicide and and divorce and substance abuse are quickly on the rise right now in the midst of all of this because all of these things are pressing in and pressing in and pressing in on us. And if we don't remind ourselves every single day that we have a God who delights in us because we are His children, where else are we going to turn for hope? And friend, if you don't know Christ, that feeling of grief, that feeling of of worry, the struggle is not going to go away. I don't want to suggest that being a Christian means you never struggle or that you don't have those very same feelings and worries sometimes because we do, but we have hope. We have assurance. We have the promises of God. We have the experience of communion with God to know that when tomorrow comes, we will be cared for and we will be loved. Do you know that? Do you live in that reality? You can, and the Lord invites you to turn to Him by faith, trusting Him to provide all that you need in this life, but most importantly, to provide you with the forgiveness of your sins by His perfect, law-fulfilling life that He fulfilled because God required it of all mankind, and He did that on our behalf. And he died a sinner's death on a cross, taking upon himself the guilt of our sin and our shame, being smitten and afflicted for us, that we need not endure the penalty of death and hell. And by his glorious resurrection, defeating the grave and assuring us of life and new heavens and new earth. Friends, if you don't know Christ by faith, you can turn to him and put all of your hope and all of your trust in Him and walk with Him as your Savior, as your friend who provides all of your needs. Because when you are His child, He delights in you. Will you turn to Christ? Do you know Christ? Do you trust Christ? Third thing Jesus shows us in our text this morning is that no matter what tomorrow brings, we must use all of God's means to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
He says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I think a lot of us have probably spent time lately thinking about our priorities, and really it's become something of a national discussion. What are our priorities? What really matters? What is our new favorite word, essential? Well, the Lord Jesus tells us as a Christian what our primary priority is. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So, what does that look like? How do we seek the kingdom of God? Seeking the kingdom is just as much about the things that we are doing and saying and focusing on. In other words, being kingdom-minded and kingdom-oriented interactions. It's just as much about that as it is about the things that we are resting in and depending on. So let's think about both of those. First, seeking the kingdom of God in our thoughts and actions. I think we've all probably struggled with this a little bit, haven't we? And I see it and I hear it among Christians. You know how things are going. Some of us think maybe everything is overblown and we're being overly cautious and this was all a big to-do about nothing and we need to hurry up. We need to get back to the way things used to be and there are legitimate concerns that come with those positions and ideas. There are others who think our health concerns are most important, and so no matter what the long-term ramifications are, we just need to get through this, through the medical and health issues related to the virus first, and then we can work through everything else when it is now safe. Here's the truth. All of this is confusing for all of us, and information is changing so fast, and the ramifications for each family are very different and varied. So I think we can at least conclude together that as God's people, the best use of our time is seeking first the kingdom of God, and it is not getting into arguments on social media with our opinions about what to do about the coronavirus. We've all seemingly become medical experts, legal scholars, and constitutional experts overnight. I have opinions about everything myself. I hold them very strongly, and I know you do too, but I think when tomorrow comes, the thing we need to be able to say as God's people is that we handled it all with the right things in mind. First, wisdom. Are we being wise? We can only do what we can based on the information that we have. And in our day, there's information coming from all kinds of sources, and it's difficult to know who to trust and and where to find it. But the reality is that we need first and foremost to turn to God's Word to know what wisdom is and how to pursue and apply wisdom. And then when we have that wisdom, we need to consider all the information around us and make the right decisions. So in this case, at the very least… What it has meant is that in the same way that we don't leave our doors unlocked at night to our homes or we look both ways before we cross the street, we take precautions that seem necessary because it's wise. It's sanctified wisdom. In this instance, it's related to the sixth commandment, that we have an obligation to protect life. But wisdom also dictates that we do not do or not do everything with a sense of absolute fear, 
The reality is that the church has always dealt with things like this. We're just fortunate that in our generation, in 2020, that for, I think, all of us in our lifetimes, we've never seen anything like this. But as far off as it has seemed at times, things will get back to some sense of normal. And so we cannot become people who are afraid to walk outside. There's a mission field out there for the church to work in amongst our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. And we need to pursue the things of God's kingdom by wisely moving back into communal life, trusting God's sovereignty, and taking the appropriate measures to protect ourselves and our families with reason. And we also need to be patient. How this all works out for you is going to look different than it works out for me. Some of you have other health concerns or you are advanced in years, as the Bible would say, or other factors that may be involved in your life. While some are healthy and young and they don't have many risk factors, some of you have business concerns. Some of you work for others who continue to be closed. Some of you never stopped working. Some of you are making more money now than you've ever made in your entire life. But listen, all of our situations are different, and so we're going to have to be patient with one another, not just in the church, but with our neighbors and with our coworkers. There really is a lot of uncertainty, so we need to proceed with patience and give each other the benefit of the doubt. But along with that means that we also need to be honest. There's an opportunity for some people in this time to take advantage of the circumstances and in doing so to not be completely honest. There's a way that we can easily give into the flesh by using this as an excuse to not do certain things or to do certain things because the opportunity has presented itself, not because it's the wise course of action given our personal circumstances, but because we're either lazy or greedy or just looking for ways around what is otherwise the normal way of doing life according to God's Word. And there's a lot of things we could say about that, but here's the main one. As a church, we're going to continue live streaming our services online for a while because we realize that we have people in our congregation that for wise, important reasons are going to need to continue to stay home for a time. And we want to make sure that they have the opportunity to hear God's Word on the Lord's Day. But listen, that is not a replacement for this. Don't let this be a reason to continue to stay away from the physical gathering of God's people because it's more convenient to keep laying in bed and watching on your phone or your computer screen instead of coming to church. The two are not the same at all. We need to gather as God's people, and so we must do what we can together wisely and take the right precautions and not use this as an excuse to not do so. Listen, if the rest of your life starts going back to normal and you are not yet coming back to church on the Lord's Day, I think you need to consider your priorities. By no fault of our own, we've gotten out of the physical habit of being here on Sunday mornings, but we need to get back to that as soon as possible, so we need to be honest with ourselves before the Lord and do what we can to make sure we're not keeping ourselves away from the gathering of God's people to worship. 
And here's the second part of all of this. Seeking the kingdom of God in our minds means that no matter what is going on and no matter what comes tomorrow, we continue to utilize the means of grace day by day. Brothers and sisters, we have a lot of time to be in the Word of God lately and in prayer alone and together with our families, and we have had opportunities to read books and to study the things of God, and in all these ways, seeking the kingdom of God in His righteousness. We are growing in our faith. We are communing with our God. So whatever tomorrow brings, we need to know that one thing that God intends is for our good, and that is that we would draw nearer to Him by utilizing the means that He has provided, that we would have warm, deep, felt communion with God in our lives. It's a means He uses to draw us nearer to Him that we might trust Him all the more. Lastly, no matter what tomorrow brings, we should focus our attention on today. The Lord Jesus ends this passage with an important exhortation. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This thing that God is doing, the way that God is working in your life that you can see, that you can experience, that you can appreciate, those are the things that are happening here and now. Being anxious takes us away from the present, where God is currently at work. It is, it is really easy for us to, to start focusing our attention on tomorrow. We, want, we think we have some control over something and what is coming, and so we're going to start worrying today about tomorrow, and our tendency is to dwell on all of the possible outcomes, to, to fret over all the numerous possibilities, to be anxious about what could be. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about what could be, focus instead on what is. Now, we need to be careful to not push this to a place where Jesus does not intend to go. He does not mean that we shouldn't make wise preparations that seem necessary for tomorrow's needs. If you're a farmer, for example, the thought about tomorrow's empty silos should cause you to plant the seeds months before they are ready to be harvested. You're planning for the future by working today. Almost everything that is worth doing and is important in this life requires that we put in some forethought and planning and preparation. Remember in Luke 14, Jesus said, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So he's not telling us that we shouldn't plan and prepare, but if the past few months have taught us anything at all, surely it is that we can plan and prepare all we want, but we really absolutely 100% do not actually know what's coming tomorrow, and there's no way to prepare so that we cut off all of the risk of life. So what now? Well, Jesus says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He means that our Heavenly Father, who is kind and wise beyond all measure, gives us each day, and He knows in His divine plan what is best. And sometimes that looks like pain. Sometimes that looks like pleasure. 
But he tells us each day has troubles that are enough. They are sufficient because God determines their limits. God decides what is enough and what is sufficient. You know so how so often things happen in the lives of other people and we look at their circumstances and we say, I don't know how they're getting through this. I don't think I could survive what they are facing. Why do you think we have those thoughts? We have those thoughts because today, here and now, when I'm looking at the troubles in someone else's life, the things that they're encountering, the things that they're struggling through, they are facing troubles that are allotted to them by God for today, not me. Those aren't our troubles for today. So no, there is no way you could handle them because they're not your troubles. But here is an ironclad promise from the Lord. If those were your troubles for today, the Lord would give you all the necessary grace to be able to face those troubles and to walk through those troubles, to press on through the pain, to continue by faith to put one foot in front of the other. So just like another person's troubles are not your troubles, tomorrow's troubles in your life are not today's. In other words, Don't steal time from today and all that God intends to teach you today and all the ways God intends to use today to grow and shape you to worry about tomorrow. We have to believe that God will be God just as much tomorrow as He is today. He doesn't change. And that should be an absolute assurance to us that we need to be able to take some deep breaths and to feel the weight begin to lift. God doesn't overload any day with too much trouble. Each day has an appointed amount. So don't reach in tomorrow and try and pull those troubles into today. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, Great is your faithfulness. Today's mercies for today's troubles. Tomorrow's mercies for tomorrow's troubles. As your days so shall, as your days so shall your strength be. So look, you can know some of the pressures that are coming tomorrow. And part of your job may be to look and prepare for them. Your elders, we've, we've met. We met on Friday to talk about these kinds of things. Your deacons have been busy putting things in order. We're trying to make preparations the best we can for tomorrow so that it doesn't sneak up on us without any thought on our part whatsoever. But those preparations are part of today's sufficient trouble. And here's, here's the turn in that. How those preparations will turn out tomorrow and, and whether you feel strong enough today to do your part tomorrow, that's not something God wants us to carry today. Those are tomorrow's burdens. So let me make this really practical. Churches all around the world are all asking a lot of questions and we are no exception to that. The elders have had to make plans and adjust the church's infrastructure and the way we've normally done things for a while because of health risks and our desire to love our neighbors appropriately while simultaneously providing the most biblically accurate opportunities to worship with God's people as we are able. 
And so like the farmer, if we're going to see the spiritual harvest of true biblical worship at Redeemer Baptist Church in the midst of a global pandemic, there has to be some plowing. There has to be some sowing of seeds. There has to be watering earlier in the week. And that's good and right and exactly what Jesus expects from us. But let me be honest about my own heart in all of this. Here's how this has gone for me. It's really easy to move from making wise preparations to now start worrying about tomorrow's troubles. What if, what if people get too accustomed to the live stream that they just don't come back to church? What if this all becomes an excuse to pull away from the body of Christ? What if we can't meet our budget financially? What if the whole thing really starts to take a toll on our local economy and our members start losing their jobs and their income? What if we all lose sight of what really matters in the church and we all become so isolated and so inwardly focused that we forget how important the body of Christ is altogether? You see how easy it is with those questions to cross the line from faithful preparation to unfaithful anxiety. We cross over from dealing with today's sufficient burden, which is preparation, and begin with tomorrow's troubles. How will it all be received? And this is spiritually very dangerous because today's mercies are given by God for today's burdens, not tomorrow's. Now, perhaps you're anxious because you think that God won't be with you tomorrow. You see troubling waters ahead, you're feeling the financial pinch right now, or your health is compromised and you have some medical risk factors, you're worried that this is an indication that maybe the Lord has just moved on from us. He rescued you, He saved you, He brought you into His family by what Christ has done, but now He might just abandon you in your time of need. Maybe you're thinking what I hear Christians say so often. You're thinking, you know, I know God loves me, but my life is a mess. I keep sinning. I keep taking the Lord for granted. I haven't trusted Him through all of this. I keep disappointing Him. So there's no way He's going to continue being so gracious to me as He is. I don't even deserve it. But you know what? That's not true. It is true that you don't deserve it. But it's not true that he would ever do that. He won't. He doesn't. No matter what tomorrow brings, brothers and sisters, we have to focus our attention on today because God has appointed to each day its portion of pleasure and its portion of troubles. And what does he do? He gives us the grace that is necessary to face tomorrow when tomorrow comes. That's what we do about tomorrow.